The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Listener questions live week two. The Bengals get set to take on the Chicago Bears in the Windy City. We've got y'all covered on CincyJungle.com and on this podcast. It's been a busy week on this show, but uh, happy to be with everybody. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran, who has his Twitter handle up at John double underscore Sheeran. Uh, hey, what the hell? I didn't know that was there. <laughs> Well, it's, it's there. a shame if people clicked on it and all of it. <laughs> How's it going, man? I'm good, man. Um, it's been a good week, but now we are in antagonistic mode. If you rock with Central Time, I'm not rocking with you this weekend, most likely. Bengals take on the Bears in Chicago. The Cincinnati Bearcats ranked higher than the Ohio State Buckeyes in the latest AP poll, taking on the Indiana Hoosiers in Bloomington, Ooh. Indiana. So if you're in that part of the country... Odds are I'm not rocking with you this weekend. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, some people were jokingly calling me the good luck charm because I came out to the game last week and I, I maybe I, I left some Bengals good luck in the in Chicago because I had a layover back home. Um, so hopefully I left a little uh, some good juju for the Bengals there and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But an interesting game nonetheless. You can get your questions to us in a variety of ways. Usually we, we come at you a little later, but... Uh, Schedule-wise, this is where live the live recording could be squeezed in here. But um, you can get your questions to us in a number of different ways. We've got live chats going in the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel, so please leave them there. There's a live chat going there on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We're streaming on Twitter at the Cincy Jungle Twitter handle, uh, the Orange and Black Insider Twitter handle. There is a post on CincyJungle.com where you can leave your questions there. And then, of course, you can call, text 949-542-6241. Email theobinsider at gmail.com. No excuses. Get your your questions in. Uh, Let's let's see here. There was one. You want to start with the one on the comment thread on Cincy Jungle? Did you see that one from Perfectionist? I did see that one. So Perfectionist is asking... If the three safety sets on defense is a question right now, do you know who may have been taking snaps in camp? 
in those three safety sets, I'm pretty sure Ricardo Allen missed some time in camp. Was there any use of Darius Phillips the opposite of Bates? Might make sense with the Irwin call-up. So we talked about this on the weekly show. Ricardo Allen, in case you haven't heard, is on injury reserve at the moment. He's on there with a broken hand and a hamstring uh, sprain. He played 21 snaps against the Minnesota Vikings in week one, and he was out there with along with Bates and Von Bell in some of those defensive looks. And we kind of talked about this earlier in the week. This could be a sign that Trayvon Henderson gets called up to the active roster to take his spot. They signed Sean Davis on the practice squad as well to fill out some depth. But I don't know. I guess the question really is, Anthony, do they continue to institute some of these looks just with another guy in Henderson or maybe Davis? Or do they just kind of re- resort back to the defense that they played last year where it's just mainly just Bates and Bell on the field for 100% of the snaps? Do they, I, I may have missed it. Did they bring Davis up from – because he was on the practice squad, right? I think he's still just on the practice squad. They, they won't elevate guys up until, like, I think tomorrow if right. they do. Right. So, uh, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if Davis gets the call up because, you know, new guy coming right in, like, in the middle of the – early middle of the week. Uh, and then, you know, you throw him into this role that was just specifically pegged for Ricardo Allen. And he played pretty well. He had a good PFF score last week. So, I, I would think that Davis would be the candidate to do it. I just don't know if it's going to be this week. Maybe it'll be next week once he gets kind of a, a little more acclimated to things going forward. Um, so that that would be my guy that I would think would do that in the interim. Hopefully, um, you know, the, the, the stint on IR is not going to be a long one there, but you know, I, I, I don't I, I don't know really what they're going to do here. I mean, I, someone had asked, you know, is Darius Phillips, uh, you know, a guy that can can be in that mix? I don't think so. I think it's yeah, it, that does. That's just not his style of play. And, and so, you know, it just may be a little bit more to safety sets and they just make, you know, maybe they trot out an extra linebacker than they did in week one. Um, it, it, the, bo- the bottom line is here. What's going to make this not be an issue is if the defensive line keeps playing at a pretty high level or a very high level because that's going to that's going to help you know alleviate some of the the pressure on the safeties in the back end of the defense if they're able to get after the quarterback but as of now you know I hope Ricardo Allen is not on uh, IR very long and then you know you've got you've got a couple of options I I would think Davis would be the guy I just don't know if it's going to be this week or next week. And Al Mack, too, in the comments section, uh, asking why not use Brandon Wilson back there. Obviously, he's still on the roster. He's the third and only backup on the active roster at the moment. That's definitely a possibility. It's interesting because, you know, they played a lot of those um, defensive looks. And I think PFF Eric Eager uh, noted that the Bengals disguised their coverages in like 16 of Kirk Cousins' dropbacks. He only averaged like six yards per attempt. So I think it did have an impact of disguising what they were what they were going to do in the pre-snap phase and kind of confusing Minnesota a little bit. So that's also just a week one thing. There's not a lot of, you know, if teams end up changing their schemes and whatnot, you don't really know what to expect in week one. And that was kind of maybe an impact there. So we're going to go next to Joshua Patterson in the YouTube comment section. He's asking, do you think Jamar Chase's success will continue going into week two, or do you think he will take a step back and T Higgins or Tyler Boyd get more looks this week? Um, why, why wouldn't it? You know, it's not like Chicago necessarily has lockdown cornerbacks right now. It's it's perfectly conceivable that all three of those guys eat based off of what we saw the Rams kind of do against them. Um, obviously, the Bears playing at home might have something to do with maybe they play a little bit better. They can't really have played a lot worse, but 
I don't know. I don't, I don't really think there's anything to warrant concern thinking that Chase won't continue to play well against the weak secondary. I, I don't think so either. But here's the thing, John, when we talk about the the balance that the offense is trying to achieve, and if, if the goal is to keep Joe Burrow at about 35 dropbacks or less and give the ball to Joe Mixon 25-plus times on handoffs, you're not going to see multiple 100-yard receivers. You're not going to see, uh, in all likelihood, you're not going mm-hmm. to see a lot of that because if you remember last year, Joe Burrow was throwing the ball 40 times, 45 times, 50 times. You know, he was setting attempts and completion records as a rookie quarterback because he was throwing, having to throw the ball so many times. So this year, at least early on, it would seem that the Bengals would prefer that Joe Burrow throws the ball 25 times, 30 times, maybe 35 times. And so what you may have there is, yeah, you could have all three guys kind of ball out in terms of Boyd, Higgins, and Chase, but you may have a guy like last week. I mean, Higgins had a solid game. He left for a little bit. Boyd was a little quiet, and Chase had the explosive week, right? This week, it could be Higgins that that blows up. Chase has a solid day, not necessarily the same as last week, and maybe Boyd gets in the mix a little bit more. I, I don't know. I guess we just have to, while we all know those receivers are very talented, if the game plan is going to be continued balance on the offensive side of the ball, you may not have multiple 100-yard receivers every single week. It may be one guy one guy gets the big game, another guy has a solid game, another guy's a little quiet, and it just may switch up week to week. Yeah, I think this really depends on your definition of success because, unfortunately, the expectations for Chase kind of dwindled after the preseason, and I think a lot of fans were just hoping that he would just look competent, and obviously he, he balled out with one of the best debut performances in Bengals history. So success may not involve 100 yards and a touchdown, but it could involve continued solid route running, obviously no drops, and just staying open and being an option in the passing game. And I think that, to, to me, quantifies uh, success in just your second career game. But you're right, it, it could be Higgins and Boyd who rack up the fantasy production this week. Let's go to the the text line, area code 916. It's John from Sacramento, California. My question is, are we sleeping on the Bears' defense? Did you guys think they just had a bad game defensively against the Rams? Or is the Bears' defense not very good this year? Traditionally, we all know, I mean, going way back, the Bears' defense has been always pretty good to very good. Um, they've got some good players on that defense. We're waiting to kind of see what's going on with Eddie Goldman this week. Um, and so I I think maybe we are sleeping on the Bears defense a little bit. But I think what bodes well is this Rams-McVay style of offense exposed them a little bit. And the, obviously, Zach Taylor, he's not running the same exact offense. But there are nuances of this offense that he took from that system and so maybe that bodes well for the Bengals this week, regardless of if we're undervaluing the Bears' defense. Yeah, they look terrible against the really Rams. I don't know how I don't, I don't know how much that has to do with just McVay's scheme or Matthew Stafford's arm. Like they played Matthew Stafford for the last ten years, they know they knew what to expect <laughs> from him, and they still couldn't do a damn thing to stop him. I, I think it's just fair to say they they have a weak secondary, even with Eddie Jackson, and I guess that is about it in the secondary. They, they don't have any corners that can necessarily match up with the Bengals starting three receivers. I think their biggest concern is the defensive line. Like you have to think that Akeem Hicks and Cleo Mack are capable of playing better and can play better against a relatively weaker offensive line compared to the Rams that the Bengals have. And that's probably going to be 
where the game is made or break or broken for the Chicago Bears. If they want to keep it close, they have to take advantage of those mismatches up front. And the Bengals, for the Bengals' stance, like they have to step up and, and block those guys. Like Akeem Hicks didn't necessarily play well against the Bears, but he's still a solid player. And Khalil Mack is Khalil Mack. He still should be in the prime of his career. If they don't have Eddie Goldman, that's a huge blow. And I don't think he practiced on Thursday. And we've yet to see the practice report for Friday. But that, that defensive line can still cause problems. But as long as they keep him at bay, they should have no problem moving the ball against the secondary. Agreed. Um, and then they do have uh, Roquan Smith there as well, a guy who can who can make some plays. So, I mean, there, there are players there. But, you know, that secondary was exposed last week and had um, a pretty poor PFF score as a pass defense unit. Where are we going next, John? So I wanted to combine a couple questions here. I forgot where I saw the first one, but we had a question about um, Eli Apple and Trey Hopkins. Essentially, both players didn't necessarily play well. So yeah, from Black from Blackthorn in the YouTube, do you think Apple will play well, or do you think we should try out other players at cornerback? And there was a question about Trey Hopkins. If he continues to not play well, do you think the Bengals will look for other options at center? Unfortunately, with Apple, I think it's just essentially a wait-and-see situation with Trey Waynes. I think there was a report from Bengals practice today that said Waynes looked to be in the next phase of coming back, potentially practicing next week. I think they're just going to keep Apple out there for as long as they kind of need to because they don't really have other options. But I think I do think that there is still some faith in the organization for him to play a little bit better. And you could say the, the same thing and more with Trey Hopkins. Hopkins admitted that he just had a bad game. A lot of those issues were technique-related, um, as he said in a press conference. So I don't think that they're going to look at other options for a guy that they have full trust and faith who just happened to have a bad game. I I agree with you. I think, I think Hopkins is a guy who's safe and it's the one, the one position I think they would be open to moving things around or switching things up. If there's continued issues is Xavier Suofilo, um, the right guard spot because they have Jackson Carmen waiting, who by the way was limited, I think on, on, Thursday or Friday with uh, an issue, but they have a second round pick waiting there. They've got Deontay Smith who showed well in preseason and whatnot, albeit at the left left guard spot, but you know, they've got some options there at guard. The options as center at center are pretty limited. So, and then, you know, again, I think they're giving Trey Hopkins the benefit of the doubt that he was coming back pretty quickly from a significant knee injury and that there may be a little rust early on there, but, you know, I don't I, – it sounds like Phillips is not going to get his shot this week. It sounds like it's going to be Eli Apple, and there's been kind of some cryptic tweets on from Darius Phillips too. I don't know. His his Twitter account is always kind of a, an intriguing one to me. But um, so, I mean, it would seem that Apple's getting the start this week, and this is all just a plan for two, maybe three games until they get Trey Waynes back. But I would say uh, of the spots that we're talking about um, – you know, I think right guard is the one that they would maybe be a little, there's a little shorter leash on because there are more viable options. Obviously the, the leash is kind of short with, with Eli Apple over there as well, because Waynes is conceivably going to come back in the next week or two. And good on Darius Phillips. Like <laughs> people always are adding him when he tweets some cryptic stuff about, and they, they just assume it's about the Bengals. And he's right. like, no, this is not about the Bengals. And the fact that you're slandering, not, Maybe not slander is not the exact word, but you're bashing a guy who's playing in the NFL is my teammate. Like enough of this. Like I, I'm I'm sick of it. So good on him for standing up for that. Yeah, he he, he yeah he doesn't pull punches in that regard. Um, I saw one to kind of piggyback off of this question from In Bengal fan. 
um, one of the more, uh, I don't know, just a, a, a good commenter on CincyJungle.com here. Um, PFF scores aside, how did the interior of the O-line do according to your eyeball test? Was it really just Hopkins looking bad? Did Hopkins have any really good plays? I thought they played decent. Um, I think there, there was obviously the the missed block from Suofilo that got Burrow hit on the touchdown. But other than that, I don't think Suofilo necessarily played that bad. I thought he looked a lot better in run blocking than what we saw last year. And that could just be a testament to to the schemes and designs of Frank Pollock and maybe some, some new added-on coaching as well. I think Spain played about to expectation. And I do think that Hopkins played decently well outside of just the really, really bad plays. But unfortunately, that's the reality for offensive linemen. If you're caught on, if you're caught in 4K, you know, messing up and getting your quarterback hit a couple times, like that is going to be the narrative that comes out of the game. And obviously Hopkins shouldn't be happy about it, but I think for the most part, he played okay. And it's just unfortunately those bad plays, they count for a lot more than the 80% of the good plays that you have. I would agree. And this is, you know, we, we all like to use PFF as, you know, a really good barometer as to how players performed in a specific game and in scenarios and whatnot. But um, I mean, it's, it's, and it's close to a perfect system, but it's still an imperfect system. And there are biases, there are different things that go into this and, and, you know, misreads of certain plays and all that kind of stuff. So you know, while PFF is a great barometer for to use as uh, as a gauge for how players performed in the game, you know, sometimes those numbers don't speak the entire story uh, on some things. So, you know, I, I, I would say they played better than their scores would indicate, but I still don't think uh, there was anything that was like, hey, you know, this they got they got robbed by PFF on these scores yeah. here. There were issues. There were issues. So uh, I, I, I do think. Part of it is week one, there's going to be rust. Trey Hopkins coming back from that injury. Uh, Xavier Suofilo didn't get a, you know, I mean, he was injured for a, a good portion of last year as well. So these are guys still kind of getting used to things. New offensive line coach as well. So they're trying to get get used to some things. But was it good? Not Not particularly. Was it as bad as maybe some of those scores indicated? I don't think so either. I'm a big proponent of PFF. I think it's an extremely valuable resource. I do think, though, for people who are just starting to get familiar with it, it's better to look at scores over a multi-week period rather than yeah. just isolate yeah. individual week scores because I, I think the process is great. I still don't 100% understand it. I don't know how because they say that it goes from like a, a point system of up to positive two or, or down to negative two, and I don't think Hopkins played bad enough to warrant a 7.5. I don't necessarily know how the scores get to be that low, but I do think that it's better to look at it from a macro sense rather than a micro sense. So just that's just something to keep in mind with PFF. Let's go to one of the more serious questions from the Orange Era Fantasy Show. Who wore it better, Gio and his mustache or Andy Dalton and his newfound beard game? Uh, Gio and the mustache, I think. Um but I will say, you, you and I had a fun little exchange on Twitter yesterday about what yeah. Andy Dalton looked like. Uh, I said I said the comedian Anthony Jeselnik is who he looked like, um, just with the beard and the the hair. I will say, you know, we we called him the Red Rifle and all this stuff. Andy Dalton's hair game is usually pretty pretty strong, man. He's got it quality yeah. nice uh, all, all the time, and uh, I don't know, but I, I I would say Geo just because that was just an unbelievable caterpillar he had rocking right across <laughs> the, the upper lip there. 
I'm not, I'm not very um, knowledgeable in terms of identifying specific types of mustaches, but that <laughs> to me, it, it's just called the geo at this point. I'm sure it has like an official name that's recognized by the majority of the population, but that type of mustache is just the geo. It was so perfect. It was so unexpected and just kind of took hold of like the personality and the persona of who we knew as Giovanni Bernard. I do think though, it, the, the beard, it, it, it's working for Dalton, I think. It, 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 like honestly, in terms of a transformation of personality, like I have no idea who that guy is anymore. Like you said, like his hair is always great, but I don't know where that beard came from, man. And, and honestly, we'll get, honestly we'll get on in just a sec. Honestly, like it, <laughs> it, it's a little bit funny because we know him to be Andy Dalton, but if you're not going to be a great quarterback, at least you kind of look kind of menacing. Maybe I don't know, but the Gio mustache is undefeated. It is. It is. Uh, real quick, too, just since we fielded a question from the Orange Arrow, and what a great question it was. Um, he's been helping us out, doing, bringing us a little fantasy football content. We're going to put that out. Um, we're gonna, either going to be putting them out regularly on Thursdays before the Thursday night game or before Sunday so you can set your fantasy lineups and everything like that. He, John, has shared um, a little bit, too. He has created a Put the Kens in Canton shirt. And the proceeds of that, you can hit him up on uh, Twitter at the Bengal Four for details on that. Uh, the shirt itself, the proceeds for it go to um, the the pot in his charity league. So all the all the proceeds in his charity fantasy football league go to the Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund and and other places as well. He's raised quite a bit of money, and this shirt here is one that uh, you know he's he's putting out there. So if you want to rock these and maybe rock them. For week four, if we can get them out there, uh, if, if he can get them out there to people in time for the, the great ring of honor ceremony to honor these two, that would be great. But he's got these there. He's asked us for a little uh, a little favor and a shout out to make awareness of this. Go hit him up at the Bengal Four on Twitter with um, some questions or whatnot about uh, how to get your hands on this shirt and maybe rock it at week four at Paul Brown Stadium. Pretty cool stuff there. And uh, we thank him for helping us out a little bit on some fantasy football stuff. We had uh, a couple of calls come through, and I think we've got one on the line here. Hi, who's this? Uh, hey, Mac, from Cincinnati, man. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? How you guys doing? We're doing all right, man. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. I mean, I missed it. Missed it when you were in the city, I tried to link up with you, but I was spoiled by the flaky babysitter. You know. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I missed you, man. No, it's all right, man. I feel like there'll be plenty more times in the future. Hope um, so. I wanted to comment on a couple things we uh, just talked about on the show, and then I had like a little comment slash question I want you guys maybe to just. But uh, a couple things I want to comment on. Um, with the Daily Show Twitter account. It's like, I, I, like, I understand, like, he, people shouldn't go to his page, like, bash his teammates, obviously. But he does put a little bit on the show. He, he, he does a little bit, yeah, yeah. He knows what he's doing. So, you know, there's a little bit of that. Um, what was the second thing? Yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll get to another point. Um, I, there was a comment made in one of the interviews, I uh, believe it was about um, them trying to go, or like, somebody asked a question about uh, Joe doing a lot more play action from under center. And um, he made a comment about how it's a little bit different because he, you know, he got back to the defense for that for that uh, for that amount of time. He's usually used to, you know, playing a bit more spread shotgun type deal and analyzing the defense the entire way. I was wondering if that gives you guys like I, I believe that he has the mental acuity to go overcome any type thing like that. But does that think, uh, like did that play?
put any like uh, maybe there'll be an adjustment period in his in his play, you know, for you guys, or is it just like a just a passing note in the ether? Uh, but that's my question. Outside of that, you guys are great. Uh, you know, dude, you guys keep doing what you do, and we love it and all that stuff. Appreciate it, man. And you guys have a good one. All right, you too. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I, that that is a little bit different, and I think there was some some data that we put out on Cincy Bengal that we uh, we grabbed from Twitter that you know the Bengals in turn not only in terms of amount of pass attempts but the, you know ones under center and all of that have have increased at least through week one, uh, well above what was seen last year. I, I think part of this again, John, is just the fact that, you know Burrow un- directly under center more often this year just plays right into we want to run the ball more we want to be more effective and we want to use play action so uh to to his question there is there an adjustment period potentially but uh i you know i it worked a bit last week so um i'd love to hear your thoughts on it yeah so burrow had eight uh play action pass attempts that went for 68 yards so it wasn't really like the base of the passing offense but we did kind of see a little bit more of it there's this age-old debate of you do you have to like run the ball to set up play action or does play action like does it just work regardless of the quality and the quantity of the running game i think that they still believe that if they quote unquote establish the run that their play action game will increase and maybe that is a way to decrease the amount of actual pass rush that burrow has to face but i also think that it depends on the defense that you're playing if you feel like your offensive line can hold up to, to the defensive line maybe you don't have to run play action as much but it should be a weapon that teams utilize regardless because it's for the most part like majority like affected effective and they didn't run it nearly enough probably last year based off the offensive line issues so maybe this is somewhat of an adjustment period for burrow it is and i think also it's it's something that's beneficial for him in terms of you know i mean there's they're going they're going to spread it out there's going to be shotgun formations there's going to be times where he's under center there's going to be play action plays I just feel like the team last year relied so heavily on, you know, his system, this, a lot of the things that he did at LSU, which was that, that empty set him in a uh, shotgun formation. And it at times became predictable and, and defense is kind of teed off. I mean, while, while Burrow still was productive, there were a lot of hits, sacks, all that stuff that we know at this point. And now when you're kind of able to, to do a couple of different things and also this plays into while there may be some struggles, this also plays into a continuing maturity of Joe Burrow as an NFL quarterback, doing to being able to do different things in his second year in the league. So, um, you know, I think in in a way it makes the offense better because it brings more balance. In a way, it also is is a good thing because it can protect, potentially protect Burrow a little bit more doing this kind of thing. But it also, um, while there may be a little bit of growing pains or adjustment period with it, I think there there could be. Um, you know, it, it, it just it shows that they're kind of expanding the horizons a little bit for the quarterback and what they're trying to do on offense. So um, there may be some issues, but uh, I, I think that's that's to be expected doing some new things. And uh, there was still some effectiveness shown last week. Uh, we've got a call waiting on the line, John. Did you want to get to, to one quick one before we get to that? Uh, no, let's, let's bring the caller on right now. Okay, well, it's it's our good bud, Terrell giving us a ring here on uh, the Orange and Black Insider Listener Questions Live. Terrell, what's going on, dude? How you guys doing? We're doing well, man. Doing well. How are you? Man, doing pretty good on a Friday, man. Enjoyed the game. It was, it was just uh, all out. Were you there? Man, I, I was, 
Nah. Okay. Uh, I actually, uh, just, just chilled at home and watched it, man. Okay. Uh, I, I don't have no complaints with the game. Uh, I don't have, not even the fuck down. I was cool with that. Only complaints I got with the game is Eli Apple and P-Rap. That's, that's, that, uh, just with that, it was third and 24, man. He should, he should, he should have did better, man. The blocking with P-Rap made me sick, man. It makes me want to, uh, Trade back for uh, Geo, man, for real. Well, uh, that's that's. And, a, um, go ahead. And um, right. I mean, I was basically gonna say last y'all gonna say, uh, man, just just like then, Marshawn Lattimore and TJ Watt getting paid. Y'all about Jesse Bates not getting paid yet. Um, I think I think we a whole new better team than last year. A lot of people they. Thinking we the same thing from last year, but we ain't. And um, basically, I was gonna say, I, I kind of really forgot. Uh, yeah, basically, I was gonna say, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'll tell you, if we ain't gonna do, go ahead and trade him for a third or fourth round pick because he could be the second or third uh, option on somebody else's team. I just hate for us to just wait for the last minute and not do nothing about it, and we always got Trent early. And Thomas on the team, so at least try to trade and get one point. The guy ain't gonna lose. Well, yeah. So there's a couple of questions on that. We'll get to we'll get to that uh, off the air here. Good good hearing from you, Terrell. Thanks for calling in, bud. Have a good weekend. Uh, So there's a couple of questions in here as well. Well, I mean, one from that kind of tie into this. Um, Do you think Chris Evans will get some snaps? This is Vincent Armstrong. Um, there was another one up here, uh, I forget who else had said it, but essentially, um, you know, what's going on with Chris Evans and, you know, we, we talked a lot about Eli Apple at this point in time, the odd and take thing that he also brought up, not getting a lot of, of attention there as well. I don't think that right now odd and Tate is going to command a third or fourth round pick going forward, unless a team is in the hunt and has some major injuries at wide receiver. Uh, but you know, Evans comes into the conversation because of also what Terrell brought up, the the struggles with P. Ryan in the pass blocking game. Mixon had his struggles in that as well. So I don't know, man. Uh, Chris Evans and Auden Tate, do you see bigger roles going forward? Again, it's just one game right now. But, uh, I mean, do you see bigger roles for them going forward? Or is this kind of like, hey, maybe we just – do the thing that we that we tend to do, which is overvalue some of these players because of preseason work. For starters, if you get anything, anything more than a six-round pick for Auden Tate, you run with it because there's no way they're getting that on the trade market right now. That's just not happening. They're not trading Auden Tate because they're not going to get anything remotely worth what they think that he's worth. But also, man, like it's the week one overreactions. Every, anyone who didn't play well week one, bench, trade, Look for other options. Trey Hopkins not allowed to have a bad game. Samaji P. Ryan not allowed to miss the block. Eli <laughs> Apple not allowed to be Eli yep. Apple. Yeah, like it's, it's this is this is what we do every year. All right, we're so starved for football. We wait nine months, and if a handful of players play bad, get them the hell out of there. P. Ryan had a bad game. It's the Minnesota Vikings. They're terrible. They're awfully hard to prepare against in terms of just um, recognizing blitzes and, and, and pass rushes and stuff like that. P. Ryan is on the team for a reason. Honestly, if you combine P. Ryan and Joe Mixon, you probably have the best running back in the NFL because he does the intellectual things a lot better and he processes his runs a lot better. 
and they still have trust in him. So allow him to make the mistakes. And if he continues to make mistakes, then obviously you have to implement Chris Evans a little bit more because he's shown promise in that area. But with Auden Tate, I do think it was a little interesting seeing Mike Thomas get maybe more reps coming off the bench yeah. of receiver than Auden Tate. Maybe that was something that they saw against the Vikings secondary. Maybe they thought Thomas had earned those opportunities, but unfortunately he didn't really do that much. I think part of that was just Joe Burrow kind of being inaccurate on the one throw. Mike Thomas probably had a touchdown if Burrow puts a little bit closer to his chest. So the whole narrative of that could be different as well. So I think this is more more or less just week one overreactions against a pretty good team in the Vikings. I, I agree. And, you know, we, we saw some nice things out of P. Ryan late last year. The one thing that just kind of concerns me is, with P. Ryan at least, is even though he didn't have a lot of touches in preseason, this preseason he didn't look very good. And then it, it carried over into week one. But it's one week, one week. I am interested to know what's going on with Auden Tate. I, I guess I just, I don't know. He's not, he has not shown enough consistency or endeared himself enough to the coaching staff. They just trust Mike Thomas more, which is, which is also kind of weird because Thomas was, you know, off the roster at one, you know, for a brief mm-hmm. moment. And then they brought him back on and Auden Tate was, was on the roster. And now Thomas just gets more of the looks again. It could be a matchup thing. It could be a week one thing. Um, we, we just, we got, we don't really know the full story at this point, but I mean, Zach Taylor likes Mike Thomas. I mean, that's, that's clearly evident. Um, now it just, there may be something different this week with that defensive back group that was exploited in Chicago last or, uh, of Chicago last week. Um, and maybe that's, that's a time for Auden Tate to shine here, you know, especially if they end up trying to take the deep ball away and they want to get more of the short stuff and, and, be more kind of possession oriented. Maybe that'll play into Auden Tate's wheelhouse this week. We'll see. But um, I mean, clearly Zach Taylor likes Mike Thomas and trusts him. Yeah. And you know, it's not just special teams. They see him as a legit backup at receiver, but also I guess they kind of see that for Trenton Irwin as we had a question uh, from the positive universal project, David G. Why did they call up Trent Irwin from practice squad? This seems like, you could make the argument that Irwin had the best offseason training camp preseason out of the guys currently on the practice squad, but I think this brings up a good point. That brings you to seven receivers. You're only probably going to activate five or maybe six. So is do you see this as just Irwin earning this opportunity and this game check for his offseason, or do you think there's some type of plan here to for the reason of why they're adding a little bit more depth? You know, I I don't really know what to make of this. I kind of, we talked a little bit about it on Wednesday where we thought, you know, maybe this was a, a ploy where, you know, Irwin's going to be the punt return guy this week. You're going to get a little more Darius Phillips on defense. And maybe that is, maybe that that is the plan in one form or another. Um, I, I just, it sounds like it's still going to be Eli Apple's show until Trey Waynes comes back. So, I don't know how much I believe in that little theory that you and I talked about on Wednesday. Uh, I don't know, again, like kind of what I mentioned with Auden Tate, I don't know if they're going to try and use, you know, both Boyd and maybe Irwin out of, uh, you know, some, some dual slot roles, Auden Tate, you know, kind of make, make it more, a little bit more of a possession game. Um, if they're worried about a Khalil Mack getting the ball out quick, uh, a little more quickly this week, I don't know. Uh, so I, I, I don't really know what to make of the Irwin call up out of, out of the practice squad. 
especially when you've got, you know, you just picked up Sean Davis and, and what's going to go on there with Ricardo Allen on IR. A lot of moving parts here. So I, quite honestly, I wish I could have a better answer. I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah, I guess the more that I, that I personally think about it, the more it's probably for special teams. I, I don't know off the top of my head how much Ricardo Allen played on special teams, but I know that Irwin was obviously given a lot of opportunities to be on kickoff and punt teams in the preseason. So I would assume if he is active um, for this week, that that is where he's going to make the most of his impact. But at the end of the day, I think he's still you know, obviously really favored in the organization at the moment. And I think they want to give him potentially a shot if that opportunity comes up. It's probably honestly a myriad of a lot of the things, uh, the reasons we've talked about. I mean, it's probably, yeah, like you said, they want him to do a little special teams work. Maybe there's going to be more Darius Phillips on defense, even if he's not starting on the boundary. Maybe he's going to be a little more uh, present on defense. And so you're going to need a punt return or two from Irwin Maybe he's going to be part of the offensive game plan here and there, um, like an Alex Erickson was at times in that dual slot role. Who, you know, who, there, it, it could be a, a little bit of a little bit of everything. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're going to be here a little while longer answering some questions for you. But before we do, we want to tell you about our partnership with Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. And the website is simbull.app backslash OBI, where you can trade stocks, trade teams and shares of teams like they are stocks. You can buy, sell, trade, make some money off of teams that you are passionate about, you feel you can make some money on. Maybe it's a little bit of both. And if you use the promo code OBI, of course, short for Orange and Black Insider, you get a free week of Symbol Gold along with a $25 deposit that you make in using that promo code. So uh, really, really cool endeavor that Symbol has embarked upon, and we're happy to be partnering with them for the regular season, John. Absolutely, man. Symbol is the stock market for sports where you can use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, earn cash payouts when your teams win. Week one overreactions, they're still ongoing. Why not use that to your advantage? You have a lot of te- you have a lot of users buying and selling teams based off of what they did in the first week of, a, of an 18-week NFL regular season. So if you want to buy low on a team that didn't necessarily play, play well in week one or you want to keep investing in a team that did, Symbol gives you the platform to do that. And you can join the 7,000-plus early adopters who have already started to invest in their favorite teams by visiting www.sibull.app. Make sure to use the promo code OBI to get your free week of Symbol Gold, and you can start investing too. Man, I've talked to some uh, some fans and listeners of our show, some Bengals fans and listeners of our show that got in right when we first partnered with Symbol and bought some shares of the Bengals. And man, they're they're looking pretty smart right now. So they've made some money, <laughs> and you gotta you gotta get in there using that promo code OBI. Uh, you want to go next, John, or did you pick the last one here? I, I forget. I think I picked the last one, but I, I see another one that we can go to. Okay, go for it. 
So Vincent Armstrong is asking, basically, what are three things that you, Anthony Cazenza, want to see this weekend out of this team? Uh, three things that I want to see out of this team. Improved interior offensive line play is one. I would like to see the – I thought the defensive ends, uh, defensive line in general played played well, including the ends, but I would like to see – a similar, if not improvement on high level of play from the defensive line, because I think that bodes well for the Bengals if that takes place. And I'd like to see a little more involvement from Tyler Boyd. I I think that those three things, if you're able to utilize those three things, you're going to have a pretty successful afternoon. Uh, and, And in terms of when you look at what transpired last week and how this team can improve from week to week, those are a couple of areas where I would identify as, hey, you know, you can improve on a couple of those areas. And if you improve on one of the others I mentioned, you're going to have a really, really good day on defense. Yeah, I think for, for this question, I'm going to take more of like a um, like an observation approach, maybe. So for one, I'm going to monitor the run pass ratio and see if that is still very much 50-50, see if it's still more or less conservative on the early downs to see if Burrow is on this somewhat of a, of a pitch count for, for straight true dropbacks. I want to see, even if they're playing against the weaker secondary, if they don't want to pass as much on first and second down, how much that impacts the overall flow of the offense. On defense, I, I, may, I am interested to see if they use more of Brandon Wilson potentially to replace Ricardo Allen, or if they just want to change up things and just keep Bell and uh, Jesse Bates, maybe implement more dime looks to add a fourth cornerback out there if they want to potentially counter whatever passing concepts that Andy Dalton is out there. I don't really know much about this Bears offense. I know that David Montgomery is very talented, and I guess that would be the third thing. How do the linebackers, Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, who both play pretty well in run defense, they stopped Dalvin Cook to like 60-something yards and 20 carries, which is pretty hard to do. So they have another weak offensive line to go up against, but another very talented running back who can create some yards after contact, contact and is pretty elusive. David Montgomery is a Cincinnati kid. He went to Mount Healthy High School, so somewhat of a – not a reunion game, but, you know, he's going up against a team that he knew of as a kid. So there's some maybe potential motivation factor in there. So Wilson, Pratt have to make sure to keep uh, Montgomery between the uh, the hash marks there. And another great def- performance from the defensive line run defense would be good too, because I think if they stop Montgomery, they should have no issue with scoring more than the Bears. The defensive line is key to me because Andy Dalton, we know, is a rhythm quarterback, right? If he if he gets if he gets feeling pretty good early, if he's hitting passes early, he's not feeling pressure early. He tends to play okay and play pretty well. Um, if there's pressure, if they get him out of sorts early, if he's feeling a little heat from Justin Fields and and the fan base, um, you know, it could be a long day for Andy. But they they gotta they gotta get on him quick. Because we know if Andy gets off to a hot start, you know he can he can play pretty well at times. So that is uh, another thing to kind of keep an eye on. That, I thought this was a good question from five one three in our in our text line here. If you're a part of the coaching staff, what kind of game plan would you want to run out there Sunday? Khalil Mack is a problem, and he'd need to be contained. You double team him all game, or trust the tackle one on one to give the backs and Burrow enough time. I will say this that. What you don't want to do is ever isolate a tight end on Khalil Mack. We've seen that just absolutely be um, <laughs> disastrous for teams if they somehow you know miss an assignment and or just have a tight end uh, try and try and go one on one with him. 
what you would probably want to do. Riley Reef, again, the tackles played really well last week. Riley Reef and Jonah Williams didn't allow a hit, sack, or pressure on Joe Burrow. So, you know, that, that doesn't mean that they should just let things ride, I don't think. I think you should probably have someone there to help chip Khalil Mack. Um, the backs proved last week they're still a work in progress in pass protection. So, you know, having them back there, yeah, that helps. But there's still some missed assignments there, John. So, I, I, uh, you, you got to negate him as a factor in this in this game. And um, I think you know maybe a, a, some extra tight end help. I do think Reef is a, you know, Reef and, and Jonah are, are big improvements on the offensive line here this this week. So. I'm a little more confident than I would be that if it was a, a Bobby Hart type of situation, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Those those are some ideas. Yeah, you always want to keep an extra tight end, Drew Sample, in there to pass block until he goes up against Danielle Hunter one-on-one and gives yeah. up a sack. Right. Like, right. Honestly, like most of the sacks that the Bengals gave up, it was either Pirine, it was Hopkins um, missing up, and it was Sample, I think. And I think Nick Vigil came free on some type of, of a broken assignment on like a play action pass. So Yeah, and Harrison Smith did too, I think. It went, he he kind of blitzed and got up the middle. All right, and we've said it before, but I'll say it again. Like that's just Vikings things. That's something you have to expect going up against that defense. Um the Bears since they um saw Vic Vangio walk out the door for the Denver Broncos, he they just have not been as effective on defense. They still have talent. They still have guys who can win one on one matchups, but yeah, the less you have Drew Sample blocking Khalil Mack one-on-one, the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most <laughs> definitely. Um, what, you got another come uh, that you see there? Let's see here. <laughs> Rob Crude is asking, what do you think about running a trick play? To your knowledge, man, like, do you, what, what is the, the one trick play that's come to your mind in the last two years? Because I can't really necessarily think of one outside of something like like a basic flea flicker, which I think they ran like in Taylor's first ever game against Seattle. Yeah, they ran in Seattle. Yeah, I was I was there for that one. So that that's the only one that really comes. I mean, it, it, what's your definition of a trick play? I mean, is a is a jet sweep a, a trick play? Is a reverse a trick play? You know what I mean? It it just kind of depends on what you're what you're doing here, and and kind of like what we talked about with the fourth downs on Wednesday, when they work, you look like a genius, and when they don't work, you look like a fool. Right. I mean, the, the, the opportunity to trip over your own feet, so to speak, in, in these types of, you know, wacky play designs, they're there and they, uh, you know, they, they can make people look a little foolish if you don't execute them correctly. So, you know, I, I just I also don't think that it's I, I don't think it's really needed. Uh, I mean, at this point, you've got Joe Burrow and like we talked about the other night at the offense can be methodical and efficient with Joe Burrow. And if it works, I mean, yeah, I, I have a little fun, throw an occasional wrinkle in there, I guess. But uh, I, I don't know that it's definitively needed at this point. But for the second part of the question, I remember that week one in Seattle, the flea flicker, I think it was to John Ross um, mm-hmm. that, that worked well. I mean, I think some fans will qualify fourth and one at their own 30th trick play. And that obviously didn't bode well for the fan base, but I mean, yeah, Justin Money, 5-1-3, I want to see Tyler Boyd throw a pass. Like, when they drafted Tyler Boyd and they let Muhammad Sanu walk, like, Tyler Boyd threw a decent amount at Pittsburgh. I think he was a former quarterback himself. So they let their best quarterback, Muhammad Sanu, walk in free agency that offseason, and then they added another college receiver who also has history throwing the ball. So I think Boyd 
can potentially complete some deep passes. I think that I think that did happen once, but I don't know if that came before or after Marvin Lewis's firing. So it's been a while. I wouldn't I wouldn't I would be down to see it again if the situation called for it. Right. And you gotta you gotta make sure that yeah, yeah. If you're gonna call something like that, you gotta make sure that things are uh dialed up the right way. I got a um a tweet from low cash cat two seven seven. Uh, hi, Anthony and John. Thanks for the content. Glad you were able to visit Paul Brown stadium and be treated to a victory Sunday. Anthony, my question is what are your thoughts on the stadium? And obviously uh, yours as well, John, it's not my, I mean, for those who don't know, it's not my first time that I've been to Paul Brown stadium, been to Paul Brown stadium, I think four or five times now, but um, you know, I, I like the, exterior aesthetic from it as a as you stand away and kind of catch the view and you know you, if you get in a in a building there and you catch the view you can see the river behind it and I, I really like that aesthetic I think the bridge thing is kind of cool where people unfortunately we've seen people leave games early on that bridge but uh you know I think that's kind of a cool aesthetic I mean overall inside there's not a lot of, it's it's very Bengals-esque in terms of there's not a lot of frills inside there's not a lot you know it's not it's not these state of the art stadiums that you see now that are being built in LA and Vegas and all these, all these crazy ones, you know, Dallas. Um, but the, the new, they kind of made some improvements. There's the big new uh, video screen up there that looks nice. And obviously they did the, the ruler of the jungle thing that they added a little platform over there that I thought was kind of cool overall. I mean, it's, it's fine. I don't, it's not like I, I go in there and be like, wow, what a stadium. I mean, I, I love it because it's the Bengals and I love going there and I, I just don't get to go there, you know, eight plus times a year. Uh, but in terms of, you know, it's, it's not one of these behemoths that have been built recently for, for some, uh, some of these other teams. I think it looks okay for being 20 years old. Yeah. It, it's, it's tough to compare them to the, to, to use your wording, the behemoths that you yeah. have in Atlanta and Dallas and now Los Angeles and even New York. So, you know, it, it's very Cincinnatian. You know, it, Cincinnati is not this metropolis that goes absolutely big because of certain restrictions. So I think it, I think it fits the vibe of the city. And like, honestly, I agree. Like, I like the, the exterior aesthetic with like the, like the panels and the, 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 where the lights are, like how, like, kind of like sharpens and curves in and stuff like that. Yeah. I think yeah. it looks nice along the river and for being 20 years old, it, it's in pretty decent shape. There's some mm-hmm. things that they could, they can improve and specifically with the concourses traversing up to, to the 300 sections could definitely be improved as well. But I think overall it's, it, it's, it's fine. You know, they don't really need to think about a major overhaul of any kind. I thought it was really cool. Also, I don't know if people saw it on Twitter, but, what they have done for fan experience right outside the stadium, kind of by the, the riverbanks there, they've got, they, they propped up a, you know, a concert uh, stage and they've done, you know, they had like little photo ops outside, right outside of the stadium and a grassy area. And, the, and so they kind of, uh, you know, you got to cross the street, I think, or at least go in the stadium, the back way closer to the river to kind of experience some of that stuff. But I think some of the things that they've added right outside of the stadium were also pretty cool. Uh, in terms of fan experience and kind of getting people hyped for the game there as well. So I, I always love going there. And uh, as I mentioned the other night, I had a great time and met a, met a bunch of cool, cool people, which I'm stoked about. Uh, we want to get to maybe one or two others before we pop out of here, John. There's a discussion going on right now about what are Mike Brown's pronouns, which is interesting. Okay. Nickel and dime. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, um, do you guys give autographs from Mark Fry? I've never given my autograph to someone, but I would be down to make Mark Fry the first one. Yeah, in our, we, in our we, entrepreneurship. I don't know what we would sign. What do you want? What do you want us to sign, Mark? We can we can sign something for you. Um, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Let's see the comment thread here, and we'll do one more look at the. Uh, the comment thread isn't pulling up for me right now on the on Cincy Jungle, so I'll have to. I don't oh, know. Yes, man. We had we had one from yeah, it's from a kid underscore sin. He's asking, was the defensive line as good as the numbers say, or was the Vikings' offense line yeah. just bad? All the holding penalties seem to indicate the defense line was just dominating with a cr- with a crowd noise assist. I think the crowd noise uh, did have some impact at least early in the game. They had like multiple. Um, false starts, I think, on the first drive, and that could be could be attested to the crowd noise in, in itself. I do think that Hendrickson himself, I think, um, warranted a, a handful of holding penalties. But honestly, I think it was both. You know, the Vikings don't have necessarily a great offensive line. They just paid the right tackle like $100 million for five years, and he didn't play necessarily that great against Sam Hubbard to run defense. But B.J. Hill and Larry Ogunjobi, I think they objectively played good and just took advantage of a pretty good matchup. So I think this is a little bit of a both. That's that's how I feel. It's exactly I, I think it was both. I think the crowd noise prompted some of those false starts. I think the Vikings offensive line didn't play all that well, but I also think the Bengals defensive line, particularly in the interior, Ogan Joby, BJ Hill, DJ Reader all played really well, had had pretty good uh PFF scores. And then of course you had Hendrickson being very active, Sam Hubbard being very active. So this group stays healthy and they continue to play out like that. Um, you know, and, and also Cam Sample had a couple of nice, nice plays too. Um, he, we didn't really talk about him very much. He was in there rushing the passer and getting some pressure. So, uh, you know, I, I, again, I think this group is, is a pretty good one is they if they stay healthy, they can't really afford any more losses. I mean, they've been able to, at least for one week, overcome the white Hubert Joseph Osai losses uh, can't really have too many more than that up front at this point. They need to stay healthy. They need to have a rotation. They need to remain deep on the defensive line for it to remain active. Uh, John, any others before we bounce out of here, my man? Um, now we're getting some Randall hype. You know, he's blushing a little bit. He, he, he loves you guys just as much as you love him. You know, <laughs> Randall appreciates. He's he's rocking my hat right now. He's rocking the Sheeran hat. So. Yes, and you rock that proudly and well at the game. That was uh, that was pretty legit. I'm surprised you got that so fast. I, I was surprised too. I was expecting it sometime this week, and I got it on Saturday as, as well as my cousin did. So they were quick with it. I guess only two were ordered. So you know, <laughs> I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, we're gonna get on out of here. Enjoy week two. In case you haven't uh, checked it out yet, go check out our. Wednesday night show, John and I gave some predictions, keys of the game, and reviewed the game against the Vikings. That was a lot of fun, so check that out. Uh, We did the water cooler chat earlier this week, and then we'll be getting you a little bit of fantasy football stuff and a post-game show this week. I didn't get to do that last week because I was cruising around town, so I didn't get to to get to do that. So um, we'll be, we'll be giving you that check out this show and all of the Cincy jungle podcast show, whether it's ours or just the new black from Ace and Zim or chalk talk by Matt Minnick on your favorite audio streamer. Sub, uh, subscribe to the podcast channel, leave a review. If you could, hopefully a good one, give us a little, a uh, little more exposure. If you could, that'd be awesome. And of course, if you like the videos, subscribe to our YouTube channel, 
And of course, turn on the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available and all of that. John, uh, let's have a good week too, man. Have a good weekend, man. All right. We'll see you. We'll see everybody later. Take it easy.